Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. Bim, 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 bim. Grapefruit just tastes like asshole to me. And I feel seen constantly crying at the beauty of the world. You're a gift to the buds. I'm just like a walking wound. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors of Bust Magazine in Brooklyn, New York. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today we have such a special guest. Our guest is a true titan of truth-telling who, over the last seven years, has become as famous for her raw vulnerability as she has for her powerhouse vocal talent. Mary Lambert is a Grammy-nominated, multi-platinum-selling singer, songwriter, author, and activist, now out in these streets promoting her second full-length album, Grief Creature. For this intensely personal album, Mary self-produced 16 of the album's 17 tracks. She composed string quartets, she programmed drums, and she even did some engineering. It is her first full-length since 2014's Heart on My Sleeve, and her first new music since her 2017 EP, Bold. Last year, Lambert also published her second collection of poetry, Shame is an Ocean I Swim Across. But most folks know her for her breakout 2012 collaboration with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis on the triple platinum gay rights anthem, Same Love. It nabbed two Grammy nominations, won an MTV VMA award, and it made Mary a gay icon <laughs> overnight. We're so happy to have her here with us. Welcome, Mary Lambert. Oh, thank you so much. You're that finally so here. cool. <laughs> <laughs> I want people to know how long this has been in the making. We have wanted to talk to Mary Lambert for so long. We scheduled it. And then poor Luscious Logan tore his rotator cuff and was not oh. able to record, so we had to postpone. Then we rescheduled it, and Mary was just about to come, and I had the worst cough ever. I couldn't even talk. Oh. I was going to whisper into the mic. I know. I remember reading <laughs> then, that. I was like, no, don't. <laughs> and so then we decided to postpone, and then we rescheduled, and then Mary had the flu. <laughs> the flu. <laughs> and now tonight, she's finally here on the very precipice of... Corona self-quarantine. The <laughs> mm -hmm. office is literally going to pack up and self-quarantine tomorrow. Wow. But before we do that, we're going to interview Mary Lambert, <laughs> you guys. We're going to sneeze on each other. Because <laughs> the fourth time, as they say, is the charm. Yeah. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you so much for having me. It feels like a dream to be here. I'm at Buzz. Oh, you're at <laughs> Buzz. At the Grammy telecast in 2012, you participated in a historic performance of Same Love alongside Madonna and Queen Latifah, in which 33 same-sex couples got married right there in the theater on live TV. I gagged. I died. <laughs> For many folks, it was their first time seeing you and learning who you were, but it took many years and lots of hard work to become an overnight success. Tell us what your journey to that career turning point was like, and what does Madonna smell like? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a mouth breather. I can't help it. <laughs> um, I grew up like writing songs. My mom was a singer songwriter. She had really bad stage fright, so she didn't really perform so much, but I was performing like my sad songs when I was like 12. I like took Britney Spears drive me crazy. I took the chords from that and I turned it into a lullaby about death. And, <laughs> God, <laughs> and sang it for amazing. the Girl Scout troop. 
and I made all the moms cry. And that's, I vowed that I always wanted to make moms cry. And that was my, that was the beginning. And I, uh, so I always wanted to be a songwriter. Um, but when I was in high school, I, I started teaching. I started teaching cello. I played cello, I still do, and uh, voice and piano. And I just fell in love with teaching. And I, I thought first that I was going to go into policy. And then I decided to um, go into education. So I got my bachelor's in music composition. And um, I wanted to sort of have the skill set to, to, you know, maybe do a couple different things, maybe compose for film. I loved classical composition. And, um, and I gigged a bit, but I didn't, I never released anything. I started performing spoken word. I discovered the spoken word circuit and um, in competitive poetry, doing slam po poetry. And I, uh, that's how I met Macklemore was through the spoken word community in Seattle. Yeah, I was performing at that time. I was applying to graduate school to be a teacher and I was bartending and waitressing and I worked like three service jobs so I could, you know, think about making an album. I still hadn't done one yet. And then I just, I got the call from my friend Hollis that they were looking for someone who was queer that wanted to write this song. And it felt like, it just felt so divine. It felt like I, all my whole life had led to this moment and I had spent my all, I had spent my entire like life preparing for this. This is and so I, cute. And I, I was know. like, I'm the best person for this job. Obviously. <laughs> I'm a queer Christian. And so I was just like, this is, this is the gospel I want to spread. You know, this is like, it's a, it's about love. It's always been about love. And now I don't, I feel like I don't have to fight. I don't have to fight, you know, anyone. It's just, I get to, I get to talk about love. And um, yeah, I was just, I was so excited to get it. And then I had, I was, I felt like, oh my God, I have to, I have to release an album or something. So, you know, maybe my career can last, you know, after this, I wanted to sort of think about afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and I also didn't think the song would have that much success. I, I just thought that it was going to be a little niche song for Washington State because we were releasing it in support of Referendum 74, which was um, the bill for same-sex marriage. And I just didn't think it was going to – none of us thought it was going to take off the way it did. And it really had a life of its own. And it just kept growing. And I remember when I recorded it um, – because I got that call in the morning. And then I recorded it. I wrote it in like two hours. And then I recorded it that night. Whoa. And what you hear <laughs> And what you hear on the track is exactly what I recorded. I never met them before. And I I was kind of familiar of their work. But it was just – yeah, it just felt very serendipitous. It felt very divine. Um, but I remember going out to dinner and thinking, what if we – I remember, like, what if we go on Ellen? I'm like, no, <laughs> there's no way. We're not going on Ellen. Or, oh, my God, what if we do this at the Grammys? No, no way. This is this, – it'll never – that won't ever happen. And then to be nominated for Song of the Year and think about, you know, my chorus just being – sung with Madonna. Just, it, feel, it was very <laughs> surreal. And I felt, I also felt that I didn't totally deserve it. I felt like I hadn't really hacked it as much as my, some of my friends had. I knew people that had been like hustling for like 20 years that still didn't get this break. So I didn't totally feel like I earned it. Uh -huh. So I feel like now I'm able to sort of cut my teeth. So to speak. I just realized, like right before we walked into this room, that you told me you have no sense of smell. Yes. So of course you can't tell me what Madonna. I don't smells know like. what she smells like. What does she taste like? <laughs> <laughs>
You have no sense of smell? Yeah, I was born without it. My sister also doesn't have a sense of smell. That's so interesting. Does does food taste like anything? It tastes uh well, I don't know because I've never I don't I don't know, know what, what I don't I don't know like what it. I miss. Well, do but you I, enjoy eating a food? I love all foods. But I I'm like texture is really important to me. Oh, it must be. And I think what it is like I just don't get the aromatic quality of things. Like grapefruit just tastes like asshole to me. I have no <laughs> idea why anybody would ever eat that. Like it's disgusting. It's really good. No, it's I'm sorry. It's just it's category your category. I understand. Wrong. <laughs> but getting back to the song for a second. Okay. <laughs> I I really love that song and I love your chorus in the song. And I remember there being backlash from the gay community about it. Like mm. maybe because Macklemore doesn't identify as queer or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But like what was your experience of that? Like you like you said, you were the right person for the job and you were right there front and center. So like what was their damage? I think that the perspective was that it was kind of like a white male savior complex mm -hmm. and that, you know, this person is taking up space that a queer person might have been able to take up. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like I was like screaming from the back, like, what about me? You know, <laughs> but I understood where people were coming yeah. from. It was his song that I joined him on, you know, and. Mm -hmm. I think if it were released today, it would like just be a total flop. I think that it was just the right time for it to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I think it served a purpose. I think that for like younger queer kids, it was like something that they could play for their parents and kind of gauge their parents' response. And mm -hmm. uh, for people that had been, you know, ostracized in their churches or in their, you know, in their religious communities that they felt they're singing to me it felt special in that way so i never i never totally got deterred by that um that response but i understood where people were coming from i i i still feel the same way of like what what space am i taking up that somebody else could take up there is an army of mary lambert fans out there <laughs> who look to you as a source of strength because you've been so open about your trauma and your struggles mm -hmm. in your work. You've made art that deals with being sexually abused by a parent, being gang raped at an army barracks at 16, having PTSD, being bipolar, being Christian and gay, being a plus size woman in entertainment, and just being deeply in and out of love. You mm -hmm. have explored all of these things so deeply. What is it like going through the world as a public person, knowing that at any moment someone you don't know is going to run up to you and want to engage with you about these most personal aspects of your life? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question because I, 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 I used to feel uh, terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I used to feel like um, it wasn't necessarily that I didn't want to connect with people because that's my whole MO. Like I want, I want to have those um, connections with people. It's when it like gets conflated with um, feeling like collected or feeling like, you know, like a conversation with me is like bragging rights or a photo with me is, is something that is like, it becomes almost like currency. tangible. Yeah. Currency. Exactly. And I, yeah, it was like the commodification of my personhood and I couldn't, I didn't, I still can't stand that. I, I I really crave honest connection, but I think at this point I understand where it's coming from. I have less rage about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I decided to move to the woods because I was just so um, freaked out. And I've only recently really embraced the transparency and the openness in my physical life. I don't mind being open and engaging with people online. It feels safe and controlled, but it is scarier being out in the world. I've had 
I've had to deal with a few stalkers. And so for me, that's, um, that's part of where my, my guard goes up and the, the fear and the, you know, the, all of the flags are being raised and, and I want to protect myself. I don't want to protect my family. Um, but I also want, I want to be able to make eye contact with people. And that was like a big thing for me. Cause I always used to make eye contact with strangers and smile at people and start conversations and, um, and I missed doing that and I'm just now kind of starting to get back to that and it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about finding strength and vulnerability. Like mm. when I think about that concept, I think about your body of work. Mm. How, how did you come upon it as a way of life? <laughs> well, I, I, um, I was just always a really weird kid and I know a lot of people say they were weird kids, but I really struggled with being a child and I just, I needed, I needed power and agency immediately. (laughs) And I didn't like that. I couldn't have that. I couldn't believe that I had to raise my hand to go to the bathroom. I thought that was the most stupid thing. I was like, why can't I just like drive myself to the store and like go get cheese? Like, I don't understand being an adult must be the coolest thing. And I remember, um, like being on the playground thinking like, just be a kid, like learn how to be a kid. Stop looking for a husband. And, that was my, and I was just like, I had to go home and clip coupons. Like I was just thinking, I couldn't stop thinking ahead. Like I just, that's all I wanted was mm-hmm. to be an adult now. So because I knew I had experienced all of this childhood trauma, I started reading case studies of adolescence when I was about like eight or nine. Oh my God. So that I could like understand my, my like, the, psych- old soul. the psychology of it. And then I started like trying to therapize my friends. That must and have been fun. It, well, what was, it was truly life changing because I would uh, like, I go to like a sleepover. Well, this is like just a sidebar. I just remember this one sleepover I went to and it was like my friend Christine's like birthday. She was like turning 10 and we were playing, we had just been playing guess who, you know, that flip up yeah. one and we just ended and I was like, so who wants to debate about abortion? <laughs> <laughs> And like by the end of it, like half the girls were crying because they came from conservative backgrounds. And I was like, they're not babies. Um, and so by the. Uh, Guess who's a feminist. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So I, so like there was another sleepover I went to where I was like, I'm going to try out my psychology techniques. Like some of the things that I've learned through these case studies and psychology books, because I was, was really into biographies and memoirs, um, books on psychology and books on the brain. I started engaging with my friends and I told them about what had happened to me when I was younger. And by the, like through the course of the night, there were, there were seven of us girls and, um, all seven of us had felt or been violated by men already. Mm. And I started crying because I was just feeling so much. And then all the other girls started crying. And through that night, we hugged each other. We soothed each other. We talked through it. We like, I think we had some like dramatic healing, you know, and it felt, um, it felt sacred. Mm -hmm. That was like, this is, this is what you need to do. Um, And then I found that same sort of comfort and grace um, in performing music that I think offered the same sort of invitation. So it's always been in me. I, I don't I don't know how to shut it off. And I think it's gotten me in, you know, in trouble because I I open myself up to hurt so frequently. Mm. Um, and so I've had to learn to know what what boundaries need to be set. And I feel like I've come a long way in those boundaries. Um, 
But I just, I think there's a hardening that happens for a lot of people, maybe in high school or college. I'm not totally sure when. I just never hardened that way. And I'm, I'm just like a walking wound, like a happy wound. <laughs> oh <my> God, <laughs> like a, welcome. a walking happy wound. <laughs> that, that dovetails nicely into what I want to talk to you about regarding grief creature. That's, that's a walking happy wound. I've been just out in the world listening to grief creature. And to my credit, I would like to say that I didn't start ugly crying in public until I hit track 12. (laughs) Uh, That one is called Not Ready to Die Yet. Mm. And it just slides effortlessly into track 13, climbing out. Um, It's in moments like these that a listener really experiences a difference between one human telling you something very true and poignant about their lives and then a true artist making a work of art that feels like it could have been constructed out of your own personal private thoughts which was where the the ugly cry came from Mm. you're obviously an expert in this area in the past i've tried to edit and refine and make art out of trauma but i felt really self-conscious about it Mm. but how do you go about this tricky business of disengaging with a subject emotionally Mm. enough to actually make good art out of it right like Mm. it's like difficult material is not all you need to make good art yeah yeah There has to be some element of craft, I think. Yeah. You know, I think early on in my career, especially with spoken word, I was just, I was around all, all of the feeling, you know, and anybody that was, had experienced trauma was like, you know, letting it out all on stage. So I, that's the only exposure that I got. And I will say that I think when I first started doing spoken word, I was very exploitative with my, with my trauma in a way that I'm not totally comfortable with. And I'm like, glad there are no videos resurfacing online. They're not great. I look back and I'm like, okay, I'm really glad that I have, I moved through this. I think it was a necessary part of growth, but I had a, a friend that, um, that saw me perform and he just said, you don't need to fake cry. And I was like, whoa, because I thought I was like very convincing, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was a really Im- important call out for me to be like, okay, why, what is the function and purpose of this? Is this cathartic for me? No, because this is like, I'm like re-triggering myself every night and potentially triggering somebody else. And there's no real f- function behind it. So my current method, and I think what I um, evolved into was I want there to be a function to the you know the the song i want it to serve some sort of purpose i believe in like the civic duty of of music Mm -hmm. and now when i'm writing about it so often the songs that do come out during my writing are written through like just tote like tears like i can't fully sing right because i'm crying so hard and i think that's a really important process for myself because songwriting has always been like a form of survival and a form of healing that it has been necessary for my growth. It affords me all of this joy and all of this like, you know, vibrant love that I have to offer the world because I'm able to sort of exorcise that out. Mm -hmm. And what I have been trying to navigate is the sharing of that. And particularly with Grief Creature, I I have done very few shows with it. Mm. Kind of for that reason. It's really heavy. I did I, when I performed Not Ready to Die Yet, I did it at a release show in Seattle. And I was just sobbing the entire way through. And I could just hear it was just like a 700 people sobbing. Like we were all just crying together and it felt really cathartic, but it also was like an emotional cannonball like yeah. into yeah. my gut that I needed a couple of days to recover. Whoa. 
And so I just haven't felt totally comfortable. It still feels too close to mm -hmm. tour this. But I think the the writing and the recording of it, it feels healing. It feels cathartic. So I don't have any qualms about doing that. It doesn't um, it doesn't harm me. It is like the mode that I write in. But I do I do take issue with being very selective about what I release. And so I release only about 10% of the things that I write. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm very selective about what I decide to share for that for that purpose of I want it this to be a tool either for somebody to like recognize themselves in or something that invites them in to feel whatever it is they need to feel, not just for the sake of listen to how sad I am. Mm -hmm. I, I know that there's a purpose for that s somewhere for some people and I, I totally understand people that make that art, but for me, I want it to have a function. I feel like there's a, a big difference between, oh wow, that story is so sad and how did you know that about me? Mm. And the big difference between that is art. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. That's how you can tell. Totally. I figured out after the first day that I have to figure out where I'm going to be before I press play. Because yeah. <laughs> the New York City subway will never be the same. Well, the good thing about the subway is literally no one cares if you cry on the train. That's right. People are a hot mess on the train every day. I'm just one of many. Uh, here's another subject that is near and dear to my heart. I've mentioned before on this mic that I am a plus size lady. <laughs> and I would like to know how you navigate fame as a plus size woman. Mm. How have like label people and image makers and agents and managers and all those people attempted to package you as a round, lovely woman? Mm. And how have you responded to that packaging? I feel like I'm an anomaly. I don't think that I've had the same experience as a lot of people that are in my position. I I think because I've come out so strong in my messaging and beliefs like very early on. Nobody tried to fuck with you? No. I That's mean, awesome. part of the reason I got signed to Capitol was for, for my song, poem, Body Love. And so they knew it was like, it was part of my identity. It was something that I wanted to talk about. It's, it's a personal that, brand at exactly. this point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my fatness is my brand. Um, <laughs> and I feel, I feel like it's um, important to talk about and engage with, but I, there the times in which it feels challenging are mostly um, when it comes like red carpet time or like times when I'm like, I really want to get dressed up and I want to wear this like really nice designers clothes and they don't make clothes for me. And um, but luckily I found a great stylist named Kat Eves who finds me incredible dresses from independent designers, ethical, sustainable designers. I basically want to know where you get everything. <laughs> I covet your wardrobe. Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly Kat. She's a, she's really, really cool. <laughs> but I've also seen you like on social media dancing around in your underpants. <laughs> And I feel seen yeah. and, and represented there as well. Mm. Like I didn't grow up seeing positive images of round ladies dancing around in, in their underpants. Yeah. And I wish that I had a lot more. I, I feel the exact same way. It feels important to show all all aspects of, of the, you know, the glamour and then the realness, you uh -huh. know, the cheese that's on the couch. It's I'm so like, cute. I love whatever. it. <laughs> but I, I do remember there was this one, there are times where I feel like I've put my foot down of what I'm willing to accept and what I'm not willing to accept. But I've been asked to do a couple like um, shoots for lines before that like maybe carry one like one plus size garment mm -hmm. that I've been like, this isn't accessible to like the people I represent. And if I can't buy anything on your store, then I don't feel comfortable representing you. Mm -hmm. And I got invited to this like this really famous designers like luncheon 
and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe she's inviting me to her luncheon. And um, it was, she was like trying to get a whole bunch of powerful women together. Yeah. And I went to her, like, I was like, well, I've never seen her dress a plus size woman, but maybe, maybe she does. Nothing. There's nothing. Yeah. And I just was like, no, I'm not going to go. You don't, you don't respect me. You don't yeah. respect my people. Yeah. <laughs> the same thing happened once at Bust. Like we did like a, I think it was like an Instagram takeover or something like that of mm-hmm. a brand. They mm-hmm. wanted everyone on staff to pick like their favorite item from like this designer. And I was like, should I pick a sock? Yeah. Should I pick <laughs> like a hair clip? Cause that's basically all that yeah. I would even in my imagination choose. Yeah. Great. Another hairband. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> a purse. Nice. Um, I'm very interested in the fact that you identify as gay and Christian. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'm Jewish and I feel that very, very culturally. I'm like out here being like, I'm a Jew. You you need to know me like five minutes before you find out that I'm a Jew. (laughs) But the fact that I don't think that God likes Jews better than everybody else kind of exclude like that's like very bedrock Judaism that Mm -hmm. we're the chosen people. And Mm -hmm. the fact that I don't actually identify as a chosen person, that's like a, a... like the baseline of being Jewish is believing that. And I don't. And I kind of think about how you navigate within a faith that where you're raised among certain bedrock tenets that don't jive with like who you are and your personal beliefs. How do you, how do you do it? Yeah. I went through a whole, a whole like life journey before I was like 15 with religion. Uh So I was raised Pentecostal and like speaking in tongues, like very similar to like Southern Baptist, snakes? close to snakes, oh, well, <laughs> snake adjacent, just like writhing on the floor. <laughs> like, see. yeah. And if you haven't seen like a six year old doing Catching it, it's the like, spirit. you know, that's just daycare. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I, um, my parents were both super religious. Our entire life was centered around church. We were not allowed to, um, you know, watch most cartoons and listen to anything but worship music. And that was all of my early childhood. And I was actually just reminded of this like time that my dad would um, he would like put the TV away because the because God told him to put the TV away. And then mm. like conveniently every Sunday for like football, he'd be like I was in conversation with God and <laughs> God told me that, you know, for community and connection, I need to bring the TV out to watch the game. Ah. <laughs> I was like, very cool. Very cool. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> so That was sort of my like early experience with it. And, you know, I fell in and out through the rest of my, you know, life. And then when I was in high school, I became an evangelical Christian um, and was pretty self-hating. And then now I'm Episcopalian, which feels like very um, for if you don't know, it's like it's closely related to Catholic light. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's Catholicism and it's like um, liturgy and sort of sacred ritual and very progressive and ideology and like i like female that. priests and stuff exactly and uh, there's a gay diocese it was the first gay diocese they were the first denomination to allow same-sex marriages and i very similar to you i like there's a lot of stuff that i take issue with there's like i believe that jesus existed i don't know like i just leave a lot up to uh, uh i just say i don't know but i just really like going to church and i feel like my little communities there and that feels really good mm-hmm. and I like the the ritual of it. It could be, it could not be. That's kind of how I feel. And I love the Bible. I love Jesus Christ, but I don't know if it's the end all be all, you know? Like uh-huh. I just think it's it's nice. 
nice. Enjoy it. Yeah. But when I was, when I was coming out and really contending with being a Christian and being queer, it was like, you know, when I, when I was singing in same love and that very end chorus, like I'm not crying on Sunday was because I cried every Sunday for a year when I was coming out. Mm. Um, and I had, had sort of resolved that, okay, I'm gay. Um, and maybe the only thing that I can do is just repent because murderers repent and they get to go to heaven. So like, mm-hmm. like great eternal right. salvation. I just apologize. Love it. So every morning I'd wake up, I would apologize to God and I would like live my life. I guess I felt like I really compartmentalized it. Sorry, yeah. God, I'm yeah. going to be gay today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then it got, it got really heavy. I mean, it was around the time that I was, I was, um, you know, sexually assaulted. I was just been diagnosed with bipolar. I had friends that were just like dying and. I didn't want to live anymore. And so I attempted suicide around that time when I was coming out. And um, thank God I didn't. And mm-hmm. I stopped going to that church because I think it was really toxic for me. And then I joined the Episcopal Church. With It felt like I was more in conversation with God the less time that I spent at church. Uh-huh. And I think like there are more churches that do like more harm than good, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of lesbian and queer women in, in- pop music but most i would say just based on me like looking back on their careers didn't come out until after they'd really established a foothold in the music business Mm. you didn't really have that choice because your first big claim to fame was on this enormous gay rights (laughs) anthem are you glad that you've been out from the beginning in terms of your career would you have preferred to wait oh no no i think i don't i don't know how to do anything other than like live so violently authentically (laughs) it's just like it's it's so aggressively vulnerable yeah that that I, i wouldn't last like two weeks you know i'm just too i'm just too proud of who i am and the you know my identity that makes sense. I love it. I feel like I don't have to ask you this question because of your little uh, baby abortion debate, but <laughs> are you a feminist, Mary Lambert? Yes, I'm a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> Has your feminism changed at all since your career took off and you became such a public figure? Do you Does your feminism, has it been informed by your experience with mm. fame? I think, I think a little bit. There are like, there are really staunch um, kind of militant ideas I had before um, the, like being exposed to this much celebrity culture. And I would say one of those is that I didn't believe that you could be a feminist and have plastic surgery, Mm. like things like, and you couldn't, um, you could consume pop culture and like, um, stuff that's rooted in misogyny and patriarchal structures. Like you could consume it, but you were being a bad feminist, you know? And, Mm. um, and I think I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily from my experience or just sort of the consciousness that we've all sort of grown into in this this like age of this kind of feminism. Mm-hmm. That I still there are still like stuff. There's still things I grapple with. There are things that I still feel that are rooted in like patriarchal structures. But that I think it's it's um, up to women and it's up to it's up to each individual person to to decide what's right for them and it's no there's no absolute way to be a feminist here here <laughs> i heard you mention in a recent interview that you're in love Ooh. and that yes. you're talking about marriage and kids and yes. stuff are you worried that domestic bliss might harm your brand <laughs> <laughs> how does, and how does your partner feel about being with someone whose life is such an open book <laughs> um 
Yes, we're very in love. I think um, we both we both feel really deeply. Um, we uh, were both bipolar. Oh wow! And um, that's four poles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we're quadpolar, <laughs> and I think they feel as as deeply and as um, uh, powerfully as I do. So we're both just like constantly crying at the beauty of the world. <laughs> it oh is gosh, so it's it's, it. it's it's really it's like my mirror. It's like looking looking into the mirror and seeing like my perfect match that just kind of sees the world the exact same way I do. Wow. So there's not like a ton to navigate. It just feels really easy. <laughs> That's so cute. Imagine that. <laughs> and they're okay with whatever it is that you guys experience together being made into art at some point. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you'll find out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, I've already, you know, I have recorded um, a song that was, you know, about them, like these sweet little love songs. But I think there's not a lot to contend with right now. There's not like a lot of um, heartbreak or panic or fear or um, Well, you've got sadness. the coronavirus for that anyway. Exactly. <laughs> I've already wrote a song for it. Oh, you my have? God. Can you sing it? Well, it's just it's so stupid. Oh, I bring sang, it on. I sang it on my podcast last night. Premier, <laughs> well, then, it's not a premiere, but sing it here. Okay. COVID-19, COVID-19. That's all I have. Um, but I it's like it. it's a musical, COVID nineteen, <laughs> and it modulates, and that's all I need to know. <laughs> I love it. But I, th I think there's there is this like belief that once your life becomes stable and grounded, and you're with somebody that like loves you as you are, and you're safe, that you can't write stuff anymore, you know. But right. I have just a well of sadness to draw into. <laughs> like I'll Don't always, I'll always be bipolar. <laughs> <laughs> What are your hopes and your dreams and your plans for 2020? What is on your vision board? Um, I am so excited about this year. There's some really exciting stuff happening. I am uh, composing for a film. Um, it's a documentary that's actually about uh, the first time the word homosexual entered the Bible, which was actually in 1942. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that wild? Wow. They just went in and put it in there? Yep. They and before it that, there. it was like, man shall not lie with man. No, it was. It wasn't it, even in there. It wasn't even that. It was like, um, it was men should not have inappropriate relations with their, um, with the children they're tutoring. Oh. It was pedophilia. Oh. And it got. Well, uh, that's behind that. that. that is, it got, I'm behind yeah, that one. It got mistranslated, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Um, Some pedophile was like, I'm going to rewrite this real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it got, it got mistranslated and they're just sort of, um, just uncovering stuff now. There was actually, um, the whole documentary is a, about this, um, young seminary student who sent a letter, um, to the translators that were just about to release this new updated version of the Bible that said homosexual. And he happened to be gay. And he said, this isn't, this isn't right. You mistranslated this. And I know that for a fact. And they responded and said, you're right, but it's kind of too late. Oh, so we snap. have now this like concrete evidence that like evangelicals and you know literalists of the bible have clung on to these like few these few words that you know fuel their hatred and their bigotry we now have evidence that that's completely unbased you this know this is amazing so i'm yeah. so so i'm, I'm composing this when it comes yes. out yes send it our way yes that's exciting what else um i am voice acting in a new animated musical <gasps> and i can't say where it's anything else about it but it's yes i'm doing some more some voiceover work i'm 
um, composing for the film. What else am I doing? My partner and I have this podcast. It's just been so much fun to make called the Manic Episodes. So it's <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> so like those little these projects that just feel really good, and I never have to leave my house. Voiceover work look. is the best. Oh, that yeah. is that is Corona style right there. <laughs> exactly. So then, before you leave, tell us what you're watching. And when I say what you're watching, it is a broad question. Movies, television, books, music, music videos, podcasts, articles, mm -hmm. anything pop culturally that you're consuming, we want to know what it is because it is probably cool. Mary Lambert, <laughs> what you watching? I'm watching reruns of Survivor. Oh, <laughs> is that coronavirus and related? <laughs> I, maybe. I have been obsessed with Survivor since I was like... 10 years old uh -huh. and it is I've seen every single episode of every single season and this season is so good the one that's happening currently right now it's so I didn't even know good. it was still on it's still on because there's a cult following and I am in it uh -huh. um, this season is unreal they have taken all of the past winners not all of them but like 20 past winners that have already won and put them all together so this just it's just so much fun. Um, and because I can't wait for the next episode to come out, I'm watching like old episodes of the other. I love it. Obviously, The Bachelor, always The Bachelor. Rems is in it. Yeah. Never seen this. I want to tell you, but just I want to pause for one moment to tell you my survivor story. Okay. In 1998, I had multiple jobs, but one of my jobs <laughs> was working as an assistant for a, a television producer for the Discovery Channel. And I worked for her in her home and she and her husband were both um, TV producers and camera people and they mm. were just like in the mix. And one day her husband comes home and I was there working and he was like, Emily, let me ask you something. I heard a pitch today that was just crazy to me. <gasps> he was like, somebody thinks that they want to make a game show but it's on a desert island and they literally strand people like it's not a joke and they film them and they see who can survive the best and they want to call it survivor and it's literally just like about surviving being stranded on a desert island would you watch that that's crazy right and i was like honestly and truthfully i would watch the shit out of that like whoever it is tell them to make it and that people will watch it, and I promise you. And I'm not taking credit for Survivor. Take I'm just credit. saying. Did he take it on or did he pass it? I don't know. Oh like, my he God. was only tangentially sort of like in the orbit of the decision Can you imagine if he passed on it and he was like, I should have listened I can tell you it was assistant. not Mark Burnett. It was just <laughs> like a guy, um, but a guy producer. But he was like somehow in the room when they were trying to decide if this was a thing or if it was not a thing. I'm and I almost crying. Him, like, <laughs> telling him that if they build it, they will come. This is the, That's the birth of a dream. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story with me. <laughs> the Bachelor, I will tell you, I'm not... I'm, I'm um, one episode away from the end, so mm, I don't I know what happened, but I, I will tell you that I just thought that this was just trash. I completely agree. It's just trash, and I don't care... I don't care who quote unquote won. I feel like everybody lost. It's true. And our culture is lost. You're totally right. <laughs> and it's just a loss for everyone yep, involved. Yeah, it is. It was like, it wasn't what... Especially for the, Peter's sobbing mom. She, yes, I mean... She's for sure lost. Yeah. I just, I felt like this isn't the, you know, the outcome that America wanted, but it's the outcome we deserve did, for did the state just... of affairs. Pick someone that well, was I mean, no. I just was... mean, I mean the outcome of the show, like yeah, the, yeah. the the, the res not the ending result of what happens, but just the 
whole arc. Like uh. I don't, I, I, as I said, I don't know what happens at the end, so I'm not going to spoiler it for anything. But the show boils down to there is a woman of faith. Her faith is very important to her. No sex before marriage, and she like before they got to the fantasy suites area of the show, she was like, <laughs> "Look, if you are intimate with other people." that's going to be a deal breaker for me. Like, I'm not okay with you telling me that you love me and being intimate with like multiple people. Like she didn't need him to be a virgin before marriage. She just needed him you to not sleep <laughs> with other people after telling her how in love with her mm. he was. And then mm -hmm. he was like, okay. And then he went and like had sex with other people. And then she was expected to just like fucking get over it. And then the other girl was just like constantly reassuring him she was just like a reassurance machine like every clip of her was just like i love you i love you so much i'm not gonna put any demands on you i'm not gonna ask you for anything i'm just no. gonna be here for you and love you and love you because i love you so much and i love you like and also chihuahua. i'm not gonna ask you to do anything chihuahua and i don't need love. anything and yeah. i have no needs and, and <laughs> i have no need. like it was just a spectacle yeah what i didn't understand about the woman of faith madison mm -hmm. is i don't understand why there wasn't more of an uproar about like her not not um confiding or letting him know that she was a virgin yes she like, never told she him she never told him and i feel like that's really it's really important for for your partner to know i think right, right. she didn't even tell him when she was talking to him about no, no. that was not the, that was not something she was scared of she was like i'm worried about what you're going to do she you was know, concerned about him. She wasn't like vulnerable enough. I just feel like he didn't have the same body of information that she did. Correct. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, Bachelor. Deep in the Bachelor. I'm like kind of hate watching Love Is Blind. I think it's oh, absolutely stupidest show ever. Oh, and I, I also, am like, obsessed. Can't stop watching. I it. haven't seen it yet, but Emily with Ra loves Rachel it. Speed. Rachel Speed. That's her name, right? Rachel. Which she's, one? She's the one who is a content creator who's with uh. The scientist. Oh, I like her. I follow her on the gram and I'm obsessed with her. She's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am I just started reading Long Overdue, Camon Felix's book. Um, I think it's called Build Yourself a Boat. And it is, I think, the most beautiful collection of poetry I've ever read. Wow. Um, I started reading that and Shira Ehrlichman's um Odes to Lithium, which is really beautiful. But I cannot I cannot um, recommend Camon's book anymore. It's just it's it's brilliant. It's just one of the single greatest feats of writing. Oh. Wow, <laughs> how's that for an endorsement? That is <laughs> drop it there. Are you listening, Amber Tamblin? Pick it up. <laughs> yeah, Amber Tamblin is our poetry column columnist. I love Amber. Yeah, I love her. Dark Sparkler. Yes, I, I love that book too. Yeah, it was great. I think that's pretty much it. And Judge Judy, I watch. I watch Judge Do you have Judy feelings every day about her bringing Judge Judy to a close. I'm sorry. Well, oh my okay. God, her face don't get, just don't get so freaked out. <laughs> she the face is. That's happened I right now. She is bringing Judge Judy face. to a close, like after whatever the next season. But she is. Up. <laughs> she is planning on doing something else, like immediately afterwards. I think the face Judy why was like with a success. side eye of you are fucking with. But me. after after all this time, she has a new idea for something else she wants to do. Okay, She's okay. still going to do fair. a that's thing. Which, and you like, know what? I haven't seen every episode. It's like Judy. 
judicial judy or something it's like the similar name yeah it sounds similar it sounds like it's just gonna be more judge judy okay. but okay her judgments will continue to be swift and severe and thank you for coming on the show this i'm was, so this happy this so finally fast. happens this i know so i'm great. so upset <laughs> <laughs> and now i'm gonna cry about judge judy don't there's more judy to come my next album is about judge, judge judy, judy. <laughs> What we're gonna take the briefest of breaks, and when we return, I'm gonna ask Callie, and Callie's gonna ask me what, what you watching. Hey, podcast fans! Did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad free is Stitcher Premium? They've got Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine: The Lost Trail, Bitch Sesh, The Fantasy Footballers, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more, all without commercial interruptions. And we can hook you up with a sweet deal. Get one month free. Go to stitcher.com slash premium and use promo code Pop-Tarts. That's stitcher.com slash premium promo code Pop-Tarts. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be. And you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Uh, essentially I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey everybody, welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google Calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically I have a docket. You have a docket, we all have docket. We dockets. all have a docket. Sex? Welcome to my vagina, I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams? I'm Caitlin I'm Smith, <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Which Amazing. Was so smart. I mean, that's so like smart. To, I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. And we're back. Hello. Our friend Mary Lambert has just left the building. She was a joy. She is a ray of sunshine. And yet she also understands deep personal pain. Yeah, she is like the a yin and yang of joy and depression. I'm so glad that finally happened. I want her to work with Big Frida. Speaking of... Wouldn't that be so amazing as like the gay Christian... Like, icons? Dyna- dynamic duo. Oh my God, it would be epic. Mm. Callie, mm-hmm. I want to know. And I need to know what you watching. Well, let me tell you. I have been watching Desperate Housewives. <laughs> I made it all the way through season one already. 
I had for some reason remembered Desperate Housewives. I forget what I was doing. And I was like, I want to watch that shit. And Camilla was like, oh, I don't, you, you really going to keep watching this? And then he got sucked in. And so now whenever he comes in the house, he's like, oh, let's watch Desperate Housewives. It's as good as I remembered. I did not, however, remember that Gabrielle, you know, she was having an affair with the gardener. This is I have shock. not watched this. What? I haven't watched Desperate Housewives, so this is all new to me. What? <laughs> How is that possible? I mean, the, the cast alone is amazing. And it was on for like, did I write the dates? So 2004 to 2012? Where I missed it. I, I was watching something else, apparently. Oh, my God. Well, it's on Hulu. Don't sleep on it. Okay. But it, episode one, or the first season, it's, it's like a lady dies. She, she kills herself. This is no spoiler. And because uh, that's like the beginning of the first episode and all of these ladies that lived in the neighborhood, they would all have um, like poker nights with her and they were friends with, you know, neighbor friends. And so then they're all trying to figure out why she killed herself. And then there's some scandalous shit happening while all this is going on. This uh, one character, Gabrielle, is cheating on her husband, who's uber rich and with the gardener, the hot gardener. Hot gardener's motherfucking 16 and it's disgusting. <gasps> That's illegal. It's traumatizing. Like at first I was like, oh, that gardener is so hot. And then I realized he's in high school and I was like, oh, they just made me feel so gross. I know. Don't I do just, that. I'm sure he's not 16 in real life. But I was like, I just sexualized a child because you made me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I take offense to that. In episode five, her character, she has twins. She has four kids and two are twins and they're like little hellions and they're causing all kinds of trouble. And... She tries to pay to do give a huge donation to a, uh, a charter school to get her twins in. I know because there were so many screen grabs of that when she was on trial. I know. So you think that's where she got the idea? Probs. But it, it's definitely a show of no ass. And comparatively now, when you look at TV, you're like, well, we have come a long way. Yeah, there's a lot of ass implants on TV now. Not just ass implants, but a lot more diversity in general. Diversity of ass. Yeah, these women are all pretty much the same height, the same rail thin, the same. It's very. But you know what I will say? I was thinking about butts, as I often do. As you do. I'm like, that's one of the main things that I think about in a day. And I was just thinking about how, like, honestly and truthfully, when it comes to butts, I have never in my life seen a butt that I didn't like. And I'm talking about like super extra round asses. I'm talking about, about fur butts. butts? I've, I don't mind a furry butt. I, I don't mind like someone who like there are people who just go from lower back to leg with like nary a yeah. swell. Like I think that's cute too where it's just like a, a crease. Like I like all butts. You're a gift to the butts. Riverdale, as always, batshit bananas cuckoo crazy. Doing the most. You know, last time I talked about it, Jughead may or may not have been dead, but it looked as though he was dead. Uh-huh. And then I ran across a theory that they were going to bring back his long-lost identical cousin, Soophead. Soophead. Which is actual character from the, the From the Archie book. universe. But he wasn't in it very much, and he was very obsessed, obsessed with soup. It does involve the drug devil's breath. They have a new drug besides Jingle Jangle? Mm-hmm. Devil's Breath. And if that is a real drug, if you've ever seen the Vice documentary, The Most ba- Dangerous Drug in the World, it's a drug that I think it's from Brazil. Now we're talking about Devil's Breath? Huh? Devil's Breath is real? Yeah. <gasps> it's like this drug that you can, it's like a dust of, of a plant and you blow it on people and then you, they like lose their sense of, um, you, you can just tell them to do anything. Oh, that's a zombie powder. Yes, the zombie powder. 
So that comes into play. Oh, I, I watched Contagion. You're a maniac to watch Contagion. How dare you? I also watched Outbreak. <laughs> a double feature. And the first Purge. <laughs> you watched The Purge also? Yes. Callie. I'm trying to mentally prepare. Is this preparing, <laughs> preparing for the apocalypse that is yeah. nigh? I'm trying to mentally prepare for how crazy people are going to get, get some kind of logical plan and action. Because if any of these movies are to tell us anything, people go crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be man's inhumanity to man more than anything else. Oh, my God. Contagion was really good. Gwyneth Paltrow gets everybody fucked up because she's a cheater. Cheaters will spread. Out there cheating. And then that just fucking batshit starts the whole thing. And then cheating spreads it. So can we reasonably blame Gwyneth Paltrow for coronavirus as well? It could have something to do with goop. (laughs) Somebody like some kind of infected yoni egg. Yeah, what if somebody was like, I don't need to wash my hands because I just rub my hands on a yoni egg. Yeah, then we can blame her. <laughs> and then the last thing, um, which I watched a while ago, but I didn't get to talk about yet, was this show Explain on Netflix. Have you seen that yet? I have not. Every episode is a different like theme. And Natasha Leone hosts, hosts one about pirates. And she explains them? Yes. What she explained to me is pirates are motherfucking human traffickers. They're oh. basically slave traders. And now I think when I see kids dressed as pirates on Halloween, I'm going to have to be like, mom, dad, come over here. Let me explain what your child's dressed as because this is not appropriate. They basically would just steal children or steal women and, and sell you them know, to other people, people and take them on a boat and sell them to somebody else in exchange for like. But what about the booty? The I thought it was all about the booty. Yeah. Well, I guess they exchanged. Well, of the course you think booty. it's all about the booty. <laughs> But it is about the booty. They're they're using actual booties to get the. I see to get the booty. Yeah, clear. So that was that was a, a lot. Fucking pirates are terrible people. Um, there was a weed episode that was ho- hosted by Kevin Smith. That was really good. It's uh, pertinent to your interest, um, to Luscious Logan. Uh, and Nick Kroll does a really good, interesting episode on the exclamation point. Really? Yeah, the history of the exclamation point. I've always loved the Intero Bang. Which is like a question mark exclamation point. Oh yes. The interrobang. Which we cannot use because they we don't have it. They in... give it the shade of not allowing it on the keyboard. Yeah. We we can't type so it interrobang. But uh they talk about the interrobang and they talk about like people's overuse of exclamation. Especially women. It's a really interesting episode. Exclamation points in women's uh correspondence is basically the written version of Uptalk. Yeah. I discuss do, i do it just because i feel like sometimes it makes things sound more and like seen like i hear you i do it all the time i'm like hi exclamation point thank you so much for writing me back exclamation, exclamation point. point i can't wait to get started on this project with you smiley face mm-hmm. i know it's the worst sometimes now and since we don't have emoji on the computer keyboard i type insert whatever emoji <laughs> but what are you watching i'm glad you asked Germane to my discussion of butts, um, I watched Blood for Dracula, also known as Andy Warhol's Dracula on YouTube. And it involves butts? Well, yeah, because (laughs) um, it's a 1974 horror movie. It was written and directed by Paul Morrissey, who is like Andy Warhol's like factory director person. And it stars little Joe D'Alessandro, who is like their um, gay for pay hustler star of like most of the best Andy Warhol movies and as is his usual um mode in these films he is in various states of undress throughout 
he has perhaps the world's most perfect ass and um it's on full display which is reason <laughs> to watch blood for dracula but per- there's more is perfect ass to you muscular does it have like the side i mean dance? it's it just looks so because there's like squarish butts there's roundish butts I would say it's like it's the perfect almost like blend of square and round. You know, when someone has a muscular butt, it's like a bubble butt, but it also has some square elements because of muscles and it ripples in the moonlight. (laughs) Anyway, so this movie made me really think Blood for Dracula made me think a lot about that episode of the podcast that we did with Penny Arcade when she was talking about how Andy Who you War- just saw went to go see, right? Yes, I just saw Penny Arcade perform live recently here in New York City, and it was magnificent. Um, she is a star. If you have a chance to see Penny Arcade perform, you should absolutely do it. But when we were talking to Penny Arcade at, on this podcast, she was talking about how when they were making Chelsea Girls, they wanted to make fun of feminism, and they accidentally made a feminist movie because of the people involved. And I feel like this happened again with Blood for Dracula. Basically, the film involves Dracula played by an incredibly creepy Udo Kier. Just so creepy. He's kind of dressed like the... Um, you would probably recognize him. He he was like a 70s weird European actor, but he um, looks a lot like the MC in Cabaret in this movie, but he's playing Dracula. <laughs> and the the gist is that he goes to Italy to feast upon the blood of virgins, but he finds virgins very difficult to find. He like goes to this, um, this manor house that's like full of like a million sisters and they all allegedly are virgins. So he, you know, seduces them one by one because he can't live without virgin blood. And then every time he feasts on them, he gets horribly ill to the point of almost being dead because they all lie about being virgins. Oh, wow. And so it's like, you could tell that Andy Warhol slash Paul Morrissey wanted, like their funny joke was that all women are lying sluts. But actually, I mean, just watching it today, the film is about this premium that men put on virginity. And it's like such a construct and it doesn't mean anything. And it's like this stupid remnant of patriarchy. And like, if you put such a high price on, on virginity, then you fucking get what you deserve. <laughs> nice. Um, I found it very feminist and satisfying, but especially because little Joe D'Alessandro gives me a lady boner and, he, <laughs> and he's in various states of undress throughout as if just for me to enjoy. Thank you for that. Thank you. 1970s for giving me so many things to enjoy. Uh, more in, in a, a more recent production, I finally got around to watching Midsummer on Amazon. What do you I think? I absolutely loved it. It had a lot of Wicker Man tendencies, but was so much better. I thought it was pretty, but pretty slow. I loved every single minute of it. I would say it's as pretty as um, Love Witch. Yes. And it also reminded me of the movie The Witch in its um, female-centric folkloric Also horror. a movie I thought was too slow. I love both of them. Uh, and the last thing that I want to talk about that I watched was something that Luscious Logan rooted up out of the depths of the Roku channel. We have a Roku <laughs> and, and Roku has its own channel. And this is something uh, that originally aired on A&E from 2008 to 2012. It's a reality show called Parking Wars. Have you ever heard of it? No, but that sounds oh my awesome. God, it is my new favorite reality show, especially now that the hideous bachelor has concluded. Okay. So this show <laughs> so follows crazy. traffic enforcement employees aka meter maids and meter men 
as they ticket and boot and tow cars. Why is it called meter maids and meter men? Shouldn't it be meter maids and meter butlers? <laughs> it's really just uh, traffic enforcement employees. Yeah. Uh, but it's like the slowest version of cops ever. <laughs> they're not really cops and they're working on foot. So it's like, bad boys, what you gonna do when we tow your car? It's like that. But it's like so slow. And it's so funny because they like, if they find someone who's got a bunch of outstanding tickets, they radio in that they found someone with outstanding tickets and then they have to wait. And if like someone with actual authority comes by um, to tow their car, then their car gets towed. But if that person returns to their car before the tow truck comes, they just drive away and there's nothing that anybody can do about they it. They don't boot them? Like they don't, sometimes they boot them, but sometimes like they have to wait for the actual boot to arrive right? because they're just writing tickets. And but before the boot can arrive, that person just drives off and there's like nothing anybody can do, but be like, oh, okay. And then like a lot of times they'll put a ticket on someone's car and then they just rip up the ticket and throw it in the gutter. And they're like, oh, well, they didn't get that ticket, <laughs> but Did they, I mean, they eventually, cause they wrote the ticket, they put it into the system. So they're going to get. Yeah, but I think you can claim that somebody took the ticket off your car or, or something. something. Yeah, but people just Did rip them off. Did you see in the news that lady that, or I'm not sure if I, I can't remember if it was a man or a woman or whoever. Who gives a fuck. It was somebody was driving around with plates from the 90s. What? And then, then when the cops were like, what? How do you still have 90s plates? They were like, I've been busy. I've been busy <laughs> since the 90s. You know how it goes. These people are ticketing and booting and towing cars. Mostly in Philly, but also in later seasons, there are. Yo, Philly is wild. In Philly, you can save a parking space with a barbecue grill. <laughs> this is not even a lie. When I got there, we were like, first off, I think I used I used an ATM. I was just visiting some bike kids. I used an ATM that looked like a laundry chute. It like folded down like this. <laughs> it was dial up. And I was like. 75% certain a hand was just going to hand me some cash. <laughs> it. And then we're walking around the neighborhood and I'm like, what is with all these lawn chairs in the street and these barbecue grills? And people are like, that's how you save your parking spot. And oh I was God. like, why wouldn't you just move the grill? And they were like, you want your tires slashed? You respect that barbecue grill. And I was like, <laughs> that explains why this show is mostly in Philly. But <laughs> there were seven full and we're talking about the big chonky seasons, seven full seasons of this show. So they they spread out to Detroit, Providence, Staten Island, Long Island and Trenton. I think that it's like clear that they wanted to go to those places because those are places where when people come to claim their cars at the impound, they flip the fuck out where people Contagion was set in Staten Island. Oh, my God. It's where people are going to get real mouthy. People are like, they don't care who hears them. They're not. This is where people stop being polite and start getting real. Yeah, they're like, uh, there was a barbecue grill there. Yeah. Respect. There's so if you want to see Americans being very impolite to one another, uh, I recommend parking wars, even though they're yelling at each other. It's soothing. I can't explain why. <laughs> Maybe because just like the stakes are so incredibly low. <laughs> I love it. I love Parking Wars. And thank you, Luscious Logan, for bringing it to my attention. Uh, Callie, that's what I've been watching. I love it. Slow your roll. <laughs> and I would like to take this opportunity to thank our producers, Kate Moldenauer and Jesse Karen at More Banana Productions. And of course, our luscious audio engineer, Logan Del Fuego. <sighs> Muy caliente, Logan. Muy caliente. And of course, I want to 
thank our girl gang at Bust Magazine. I'm going to miss the girl gang when we're on voluntary quarantine because of the coronavirus. I hope we're all reunited real soon, you guys. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems, and you can find me on the gram at Rems Emily because someone stole my name on the gram. I don't know why. You cannot find Callie on social media, so don't even try. No, no, no. <laughs> she does not want your follow. Uh, but you can email both of us. I'm at emilyrems at bust.com. I'm at calliew at bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. You can also sign up for our newsletter there. We'll send you something every week called Week of Women about all the cool pop culture things that you should be consuming. And, um, you know, Bust Magazine is a magazine. It's a Trust thing. me, you'll love it. Um, you should check it out. And you can check it out at bust.com as well. Um, finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the word out. We super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mwah!